Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. And as you do, I'm going to begin this Sunday by reading uh, from the same chapter as we read last week, Jeremiah 23, just a couple verses there. If you remember last week, that opening uh, couple verses that I read were verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 23, where God said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. This, as we discovered, was a promise of the Messiah, God's own son, who would arrive and uh, shepherd God's sheep faithfully. What I'm going to do now is is open today with verses 1 and 2 of that same chapter. They, they immediately precede this promise of our Lord's coming. Uh, and using the term, woe, Jeremiah will describe God's disgust with the false shepherds. This is immediately before uh, his promise of the coming Messiah, Yahweh, our righteousness. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you and your evil deeds, declares the Lord." Wow, what a warning. You know, does God Almighty express anger? He surely does. He surely does. As you open your Bibles to Luke 20, the setting is later in the day on Wednesday. This is, this is just previous now to Christ's crucifixion. And throughout this day, Jesus has been confronted with with every type of religious leader, false religious leader, and, and religious adversary imaginable. There were scribes, spies, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, elders, and priests. You know, I, I can't, I, I truly can't imagine the enormous pressure, the enormous pressure Christ experienced as he realized. All of these were seeking to find a way to arrest him and kill him. I would have to expect their their extreme hatred that they expressed towards Christ uh, must contribute to his stress as tomorrow evening, uh, on Thursday, he will uh, pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, even even droplets of blood-like sweat uh, immediately before his arrest. The stress is enormous. Uh, it should not serve as our surprise if, if this and the following chapters now become very painful for us. Very painful for us as Christians as we watch sinful humanity uh, reject our beloved Savior. 
Reject our Savior who purchased us, as Paul said earlier, with, with his very own blood. You know, the, this unfolding of events now is, is excruciating for God the Father and uh, humiliating and agonizing for God the Son. You know, all, all of the enemies of Christ have now been silenced. They've come forward, they've spoken, Christ has silenced them. Uh, some of these men are probably still lingering in the crowd probably still in the temple grounds, uh, listening to Jesus as he now turns to speak to his disciples uh, in, in the presence of all the people who are still at the temple. Uh, he will, after this, supply some further instruction, further clarification uh, to his disciples privately. But, but folks, this is the final public exhortation from Christ uh, uh, before he offers his life, he offers this, and then he will to the people, and then he will offer his life. His lesson today continues from Luke chapter twenty, verse forty-five, through the chapter break until Luke twenty-one, verse four. This is one of those you know kind of unfortunate chapter divisions that were added centuries after the writing of Scripture. Uh, it, it actually impedes the human illustration that Jesus supplies. These are his final words of warning to Israel. Verse 45. And while all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows houses, and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Wow. Final exhortation by Christ. You know, this scene, this final public lesson, Jesus, uh, in it, Jesus just underscores the, the horrific conditions, the, the horrific spiritual situation in Israel, uh, the exploitation and the victimization of widows, of widows, of the poor, probably uh, not only angered with, with what has happened to widows uh, under that theocracy, but also uh, all poor, and here he has uh, coming before him a illustration, a walking illustration. Uh, the atmosphere here is is tense, very tense. Uh, Jesus is extremely angry. How, how can we know this? Well, we can know this because at the same time of day that we are right now on Wednesday, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 23, uh, when Jesus exposes false religion and declares his, his renowned eight woes 
against the scribes and Pharisees. This is the same timing of the day, the same period. And he rebukes the Pharisees for all to hear. In fact, Jesus' warning against the scribes here in Luke chapter 20, verse 45. It is quite possibly uh, Luke's condensed adaptation of Jesus' woes. Might be just a condensed version uh, from all that Jesus spoke concerning this topic. Uh, here's my condensed version. All right, I'll share it with you from Matthew chapter 23. I won't read the whole thing to you. You should go to Matthew chapter 23. And on this day, look at what Jesus has said to the scribes and the Pharisees. It, it, is, it, it is combative. You would think that a normal man who knows that his life is in the balance, that, that he might become a little conciliatory. You know, the crucifixion's coming up in a couple days. Not Christ. Not Christ. He is going to warn people ahead of time. But these are the woes from Matthew 23. A few of them, not all of them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs, you fools and blind men who strain a gnat and swallow a camel, you hypocrites... You who travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Wow. Wow. And when he is finished, when he is finished, Jesus bursts into a wailing lament, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather your children, protect them from becoming victims, how I wanted to gather your children the way a hen gathers her chicks under his wings. Jesus now wanting to to shepherd, collect God's people together to shelter them from the false religion of that day that had been imposed upon them by sinful men. He will shepherd them by giving His life on the cross. You know, the scene, hmm, uh, the scene of righteous indignation directed against the religious leaders, uh, those who have once again as they did in the day of Jeremiah, centuries earlier, they have once again scattered and destroyed God's flock. And Jesus is emotionally strained. He's strained as his anger transitions to a wail of tears in the presence of everybody. What a spectacle it must have been for those who could see. You know, we observe a similar lament by the Apostle Paul as he departs Ephesus for the final time. Uh, he reveals that there will be savage wolves who will arise, uh, even from amongst their own shepherds of Ephesus, not sparing the flock. And offering his own final words of warning, Paul pleads with that church repeatedly, twice you'll see in that passage, pleads with that church, therefore be on the alert. Be watchful. And, and as he reminds them of his own unadulterated, uh, pure conduct in contrast to the false shepherds who had been following him around, uh, those who plagued the early church. Paul declares this with a pure conscience. I have coveted 
no one's silver or gold or clothes. What a contrast to what we're going to see today. Uh, Paul truly had a shepherd's heart. He loved the church, as did Christ. We're told as they, they walked Paul to the ship to depart Ephesus, uh, they were all exceedingly grieved and began to weep aloud. As Paul had wept, saying he had been exhorting them for a period of three years, uh, King James Version says, they all wept sore. They all wept sore. And, and Paul then, he knelt to pray. You know, both Jesus and Paul, both of them recognize the threats to the flock, they're real. They're very genuine, real threats. And therefore, their emotions are intense. Uh, their expressions at times, believe this, were unguarded. Were unguarded. Um, folks, uh, uh, we need to be cautious as religious people that we aren't always so guarded that the genuineness of, of our concern for others, a concern for the church, uh, that is never displayed either through anger or tears. Paul and, Paul and Jesus weren't concerned about this. You know, it's a misnomer, really, that, that, that spiritual strength is always exhibited through a disposition that never exhibits emotion. You know, we should be emotional people. Christ was truly human. Perhaps uh, in contrast to some folks we've encountered through our lives, Christ is truly human. He's truly concerned. He truly loves. So um, though emotion can get possibly ridiculous sometimes, we all know that, uh, at other times it is very appropriate to show your concern, uh, to cry, to have anger at those who have mistreated, especially God's uh, people. Um, these final words uh, of Christ to the public, uh, they're a warning. They are words of warning, and they're projected against the religious, religious frauds, the frauds who don't protect, but instead harm. Uh, they play a charade. They, they, they feign long prayers to be impressive in front of people and they fake the part. They're actually acting the part of being religious and a shepherd. In verse, verse 46, Jesus proclaims, Beware of the scribes. Scribes are lawyers. They are legal specialists. Uh, they're experts. Some of the scribes uh, were Pharisees. Not all. Um, but in general, they were like lawyers. Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love respectful greetings in the marketplaces, love the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. You know, everything that they do, it's, it's, it's for, a, for an appearance of being spiritual, pretending to be spiritual. And, and Jesus warns if they're, if they're walking around in, in long flowing robes, that ought to be a tip off right away, right off the bat, you know, the, those religious elite at that time, they had diviner, uh, designer vestments, designer vestments, long robes with, with hats and, and ornate decor. They, they, they flowed, they, they drew attention to themselves as they walked. We should also remember in, in this day, if you weren't leaving town, if you weren't going on a long trip, in this day in Jerusalem, uh, most of the time you walked. You pretty much walked everywhere. 
So, so their flowing robes caused them to be noticed everywhere. Every time they were seen, you know, uh, it's similar to when you notice someone that pulls up next to you in a light, uh, at a stoplight, with a really exotic, I mean, really exotic sports car, two-seater. You know they didn't buy it for the comfy ride. They, they didn't get it for the economy. Uh, it surely isn't for functions of utility. You can't carry your refrigerator in it. Uh, it only seats two people. Around town, it, it's driven for one purpose came to my mind when I was watching Magnum. Um, One purpose, and it was for people to notice. People to notice. And just to amplify how accomplished you are. Give a visible impression to everyone how accomplished you are. So so driving around town in these robes, the scribes thought the attention they received at the marketplace was fun was kind of fun. They, they obtained preferred treatment, that is, special valet parking. When they arrived at the worship ceremonies, the religious events, uh, banquets, they got to park their rears right in the decorative chairs in front for everyone else to see. Uh, Jesus says, beware. Beware of such people. The Apostle James warned against a, a sin of partiality. Sin of partiality, he said, welcoming people with gold rings and paying special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and saying, well, you sit here in a good place, right? Christ's church does not do this. We don't do this. Uh, Yes, these are a couple of the reasons, by the way, I I personally do not believe religious leaders, pastors should wear clerical vestments. Personally, uh, according to this and, and what we learn in Scripture, I cannot see a place for clerical vestments to stand out. It's why I normally like to sit in a chair, uh, the same type of chair that everybody else sits in. All right? Persons in ministry do not fill positions of honor. They fill positions of service. Of service. However... Because texts like these are sometimes interpreted to the extreme, as we often gravitate to extremes one way or another, it's important to also realize that it is appropriate on occasion to honor positions of service. Scripture provides a balance. Uh, The church is to recognize deacons, those who serve well. Um, Paul, the apostle, publicly commended Phoebe in one of his letters. Said how... Good, different Phoebe, but still the same name. Paul committed Phoebe in one of his letters. Uh, why? Well, such people serve when they're commended, whether they are in official position in the church or whether they are just being commended in general. Uh, such people serve as good role models. Good role mod- models so others know what is proper Christian conduct. So a, a commendation from time to time, that, that's perfectly appropriate uh, you can say to Autumn, you, you can say to her, Autumn, you know, your, your plane today really uplifted us, uplifted me. You can offer her thanks for what she has done. You can say to, to Tim as he works the grounds, uh, what a wonderful uh, job he is doing on the lawn and, and all of this. And, and it, it's encouraging to come to a place that is clean and well kept. It, it's one of the reasons 
that uh, Hebrews 10 verse 24 says that when we assemble, we are to stimulate and encourage one another to love and good deeds. We are to stimulate and encourage one another. And uh, uh, that duty then to encourage one another is something that we do often publicly. Um, we each employ our spiritual giftedness to the best of our ability, each as the, law, uh, as the Lord has given to, to each of us. And uh, as insisted in 1 Peter 4.10, we employ it in serving one another, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each person is gifted. Uh, we sometimes display our giftedness, the spiritual giftedness, in proper and good religion, always giving glory to God. That can be in music. That can be in worship. Uh, that God is glorified, not necessarily that, that playing the dulcimer itself is a spiritual gift, though you did very wonderfully today, um, but that the gift of encouragement, encouraging others, is sometimes expressed through things such as the dulcimer and other instruments and other servitude that we do. Um, Displaying spiritual giftedness is proper. Putting yourself on display is a different matter altogether. I hope that we can tell the difference, the obvious difference here. You know, no, nobody ever tells Chuck Swindoll when he's preaching, you know, don't preach too well today, all right? You're just really too good. Uh, you don't want to draw attention to yourself and that gift that God gave you. Or to Seb- Johann Sebastian Bach, you know, don't write another uh, uh, don't compose anything further because you're just so talented, you're drawing attention. And, and of course, those same men always drew attention to the Lord, to the Lord for having given the giftedness of serving the flock. We employ our giftedness fully to the glory of God, fully to the glory of God. Um, applying spiritual giftedness whatever way that is manifested, is not what Jesus is condemning here. All right. Instead, the scribes and the Pharisees were pretending to be religious, masking their intent, offering for appearance long prayers uh, so as to enrich themselves, extorting money from others at the same time, coercion, and with the scribes, with the scribes, this was incredibly sinister, the way that this took place. Incredibly sinister. Um, in a theocratic society, a theocratic society is one that functions off from the Word of God. That's how Israel functioned. It was a theocratic functioning society. In that day, scribes were the legal experts. Uh, they, they, they functioned much like attorneys do today. If you need... Uh, legal advice, most will normally from time to time if you need it, uh, and Google doesn't answer your question, you will uh, seek out an attorney for device, uh, advice. Highly educated scribes provided legal services for estate planning, uh, religious guidance for inheritances. Uh, in such a society, who might you imagine could become vulnerable to such people? Widows and those especially who are left alone. Those who are left alone. Um, just like in our day. You know, many widows in ancient Israel, not all, but many widows in ancient Israel had no family. 
had no family nearby to help them make decisions when managing their estates. And while living under a biblical theocracy, surely many of those widows wanted to do what was right. Yeah, according to the law, right? What is right? It, they didn't even carry scriptures with them everywhere. You went to the synagogues, to the temple, to, to get advice because not everybody could read. Not everybody had large scrolls of scripture, so you needed to get advice somewhere. Um, both uh, since these uh, handling estates, they were, well, like, like they remain today, both legal and uh, religious matters. Even neighbors probably would have told uh, an elderly widow who was alone, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should talk to one of those guys, you know, driving around town in a long flowing robe. You know, Maserati, one of those guys wearing a Maserati. You know, well, think about it. Isn't that what your lawyer drives? If they're any good, right? Does anybody want a lawyer that drives an old junky Chevy? Maybe we'll rethink that. But if I have understood correctly, scribes were not permitted to charge an hourly rate, okay? But they were able to give financial advice. Uh, They were able to bind legal contractual matters. Ma'am, you know, it appears you need a little extra money for living, don't you? You know, that's, that's what I hear. And maybe to buy groceries, to pay for a doctor's visit. Um, what do you think your home is worth? What do you think your home is worth? This is a nice place you've got here. Um, you've got a good bit of equity. And I know a guy. I know a guy. It's my cousin Vinny. Yeah. I know somebody who can help you out. I see your, your roof in the corner. It looks like it needs a little bit of repair. It looks like you might have a leak there. Um, have you thought about getting that fixed? You know, I know a guy. You could pay for it over time. Yeah, I, you told me that, that you don't have a lot of disposable income, and, and, and if you do this, you probably wouldn't have anything left over for expected, uh, unexpected emergencies. But do you know what? Israelites serve a big God. A big God. Uh, we call him Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, the Lord who provides. We've got a big God, right? God loves you. God wants what's best for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You know, let's talk about some carpeting and then we can pray about all this. I've got a contract in my briefcase. I did a little background before I came over to speak to you uh, it's already filled out all you have to do is sign and we can get this stuff started immediately boy folks does that sound does that sound just just shockingly realistic to what occurs today when people are victimized for their property have things taken out from under them by someone who did not work at all to pay for them two years later when a runaway donkey goes off the road and runs through the side of her house, she has nothing set aside for repairs, nothing left, no family, and God hasn't appeared to provide for that new carpet and roofing. And she once again calls that religious lawyer. Who do you think gets the blame? 
Who do you think gets blamed? You know, ma'am, have you been faithful in tithing? You've been faithful in giving? Oh, you fell behind a couple, couple times because you were really stretched. You skipped a month. Uh, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Um, Vinny has a family to feed and needs to get paid. What do you want to do, ma'am? What do you want to do? Always, uh, false religious leaders, always putting the responsibility either on the individual for things not going right or in some cross way blaming God. Maybe he didn't come through. Maybe it was something that you did. certainly wasn't anything I did. I just gave you advice. You followed it. Verse 47, beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. You know, when Jesus is saying these things, you think maybe he's a little upset at what he has seen of the religious leaders. Next chapter, verse 1. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich, Vinny, putting his gifts into the treasury. You know, that's not a dig on Vinny really either. He might install a perfectly good roof. Might be a, a good contractor, have a legitimate business. The problem isn't Vinny. It is the scribe who pocketed 10% off the referral. That's the problem. And then, and then Jesus saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Of course she did. Where do you think Cousin Vinny got the money that he just tossed in the treasury? Now, folks, I know some some widows that are pretty sharp. Some widows are pretty smart uh, ladies, very intelligent, can manage a lot of things, more things than myself when it comes to money. Others have close family members that they can turn to. I know my mother did that as, as she aged, and you have probably experiencing that same thing, helping out your family. So some widows have family to turn to. Then there are certain widows who are left alone. Especially vulnerable. And Jesus knows that, that women have been equipped by God to be concerned for others. They have a unique disposition of nurturing, concern for others. And the widows are usually trusting. Because they've been concerned for others. They think that the religious leaders, the pastors, the the scribes, the Pharisees, those who are supposed to shepherd are going to have that same concern for them. For widows who are left alone indeed, since they have no one else to go to, they are usually very trusting of pastors and trusting that God will care for them. Now folks, this makes them especially vulnerable to religious leaders who will use the widow's faith in God to exploit them. To exploit them. The result is a national tragedy. National tragedy in Israel. Um, don't forget, the, the story of the widow here is inserted right into, right within Jesus' diatribe against a religious system that was supposed to, according to the law, protect widows. That's what the law required, is that the nation protect widows. 
Uh, instead, religion had been manipulated, had been distorted and turned into a program that exploited them. Sound like any Christian television you know. Taking from those who don't have. Folks, when Jesus says, "I truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, truly I say, well, he wasn't exaggerating. He wasn't exaggerating. The rich put into the offering out of their surplus. She, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. In Mark 12, verse 44, it's, that's the only other excuse me, account that we have of this widow, the only other historical account we have. Mark adds, she put in all that she owned, literally in the Greek, her entire livelihood. You know, by the way, Mark also positions uh, this poor widow within the same narrative uh, as the scribes who devour widows' homes. Both locations you find the same reference to scribes devouring widows' houses. This widow's her entrapment into the false religion of her day had cost her everything. It cost her everything she had. Not just her last two cents. That's not all it cost her. Uh, she put in into the treasury two, two little stamped coins called lepta. They were basically uh, worthless. No, no real value. No basic value to them. And folks, by the way, the vernacular, the original language, the Greek that everybody loves to go into, it does not add, bless her heart. Bless her heart. Nothing in this passage commends the poor widow um, for permitting herself to be exploited by religious imposters. This is a national tragedy. This is a national tragedy. The scene occurs in public at the temple when during Passover, people would throw money into 13 trumpet-shaped or funnel-shaped treasuries. The money would clang when it went in. The more they throw, the more it would exhibit their generosity. You know, I'm not even going to go into the rich people today. That's, that's a different message. We've, we've talked about that. Uh, who here, Jesus suggests, impress onlookers by throwing in large sums with their surplus you know, Jesus acknowledges there's nothing sacrificial about their giving because they still return home with far more than what they need. The passage is all about the widow. It's all about the widow. Yeah. Whom false religion, by the way, had duped. Had duped. She was never wealthy to begin with. She didn't have money to burn. But by comparison, they gave out of their excess surplus. But she ended up being extorted for everything that she had everything that she owned uh, by, a, by a nation that had twisted religion into a financial scam. Folks, insert America right there. This is what we are seeing today in America. Religion has been distorted into a financial scam by scribes, modern day scribes. You know what really gets under my craw? And uh, I, I get a little upset with the way this passage is distorted today in so many different ways. And it's, it's usually distorted to perpetuate 
the ongoing exploitation of the poor, usually on television, but can be happen everywhere, churches as well. I'd like to drive a stake through the heart of a biblical misrepresentation, actually a distortion, and I hope it saves somebody today. Um, hope it saves somebody, even if they're listening online, some heartache today. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this passage taught by shepherds, quote-unquote shepherds, pastors, who will wrongly suggest that Jesus is somehow commending this widow. And, and that out of this giant response, uh, or, or out of God's response to this giant leap of her faith, she was just assured when she got home to have a divine blessing. Which would be really difficult because the passage suggests she don't have a home anymore. She has no place to go. The home's been devoured by scribes. It is now uh, Vinny's rental. And it's insisted by the false teachers, you know, that this widow is being upheld somehow as the supreme role model that God wants us all to be. Uh, and that if you too should give it all, America, as they're staring at the television screen, um, if you too will give it all and just trust that Jehovah Jireh will provide, um, you too will be rewarded greatly for God's really pleased with what happens here. That's how you normally hear it interpreted. That's a lie. And then they say, just call the number at the bottom of your TV screen. So we have people standing by who will pray with you. They'll pray with you. You're going to receive a divine blessing. Folks, this is just horrific. It is horrific. Uh, So-called pastors supposedly to be shepherding God's flock by suggesting this passage that, that no matter how dire your financial situation is, you just can't give God too much. He wants it all. When that offering plate goes by, folks, I, I've got something to say to that televangelist and that false shepherd uh, who devour God's flock. Why don't you practice what you are preaching instead of acting like the scribes in the passage? Why don't you send that poor destitute widow some money yourself? That's what the Bible would actually tell you to do because pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, in their financial distress. That's what we do, not the other way around. The law never commanded widows to give so that, so that you can drive around in long, fancy robes. law never commanded that. Um, sit in fine chairs for appearance sake, offer long prayers. Jesus warns, you will receive a greater condemnation. You will receive a greater condemnation. Uh, to all the widows indeed out there, uh, to those who are left alone and have no one, to anyone poor, having been exploited, you know, this is the final word of warning, not by Jesus to not given to teach us a principle about how much we're supposed to give. Uh, folks, if this is God's desired threshold of giving, if it truly is, who's given it? Go ahead and raise your hand. I don't see any hands. You're that or you're shy. If this is the threshold, God's desired threshold of giving, who gives like this? Instead, Jesus is warning Israel it's possible to give too much. 
It's possible to give too much. Yes, God asks us to sacrifice. He permits us to sacrifice. He invites us to sacrifice. But when a sacrifice has come to the point that you can no longer provide yourself with basic food and covering, covering, I'll tell you what ought to happen. If you're a widow indeed, the pastor in the church ought to be giving to you. That's what actually ought to be happening in this scenario right here. Um, anyone who suggests to you differently, they better stay out of religion. As James says again, I've been in James a lot today, let not many of you be teachers. You're going to incur a stricter judgment. Jesus is not pleased with what this widow did, or at least what happened to this widow. Uh, but notice who he blames. He blames the religious leaders who facilitated that to happen. They knew better. Or, or at least they should have known better, because the law is very clear. To de- the law demanded justice and mercy for the widow, exactly as the New Testament does today. Exactly as the New Testament does today. The church is to assist those who are widows indeed. That's First Timothy 5.16. Simply put, if you are a widow left alone, if you have nothing to care for yourself, the church is to step in just as Israel was supposed to take care of them as well. Um, a true shepherd, well, one that is even a, just a dim reflection of the good shepherd, as Paul said, covets nobody's silver or gold or clothes. Jesus' final words of warning to the people of Israel before he died, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets who devour widows' houses for appearance sake, offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we know it angered you what you saw in Jeremiah's day. You sent him to preach against it, preach against uh, those Uh, being victimized, to preach against those taking advantage of the victims. Father, we see in Your your Son uh, another uh, sense of anger and concern, uh, even breaking down into tears uh, for what had happened to the people. Wanting to gather them under... Under his wings, like a hen would gather her chicks, wanting to protect them. And, and Father, Jesus did just that as he offered himself on the cross, offered himself to take the sins and the burdens of all who will trust in him. Father, uh, the church ought to be concerned as well about widows, about anyone who is poor and exploited, uh, marginalized. Um, Lord, uh, those who might be handicapped in some way that the church ought to be uh, the bearer of justice and righteousness and loving concern as you promised uh, through Jeremiah uh, you would be uh, Yahweh our righteousness and father as you are uh, you are great and generous and your son is the true shepherd the good shepherd Lord uh, we we invite um, We invite you to change our lives and our hearts that we might be more concerned about those who are marginalized, who are victimized, who, uh, 
Lord, especially the widows who are left alone, widows indeed. Lord, um, bless us through this passage. Lord, encourage our hearts to be kind and gentle. Uh, gentle as Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.